Hola y bienvenidos a Humanity Examined, the show where we talk with individuals about how to get the most out of life through the lens of humanities. I'm James Maloney. In this episode, we are going to talk about all things language. To do so, I'm here with Spanish professor Jaime Orego. Uh, how are you today? Very good. I'm that's, very excited good. to be here and thank you for inviting me. I would love to start uh, discussing uh, a bit about your history. You grew up in Colombia and what was that like and what made you come and teach here in the United States? Well, I, that's something that I talk a lot with my students and uh, in general, I grew up like in fear. Like you don't realize that until you move to a different country. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fear, that means that I was always, uh, I wasn't allowed to go out that often as I wish I could. And my parents were always checking on me, like I had to call them wherever I was because they were, they always wanted to be where I was. It could be two reasons. One, that they're what we call today helicopter parents. And the other one, that they were concerned about my safety or to make sure that I was okay. So it wasn't until I moved to Chile in 1989 that I didn't feel that I have to call them every single time. Mm -hmm. So I went out with friends and I just got home and I, I didn't feel that they're like overwatching me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that was a little, it, very, very different too. And then uh, I moved here in 2000 and the main reason is because I wanted to get a master's degree I, at the time, I wasn't sure if I could do that in Colombia. And I'd been traveling to the U.S. Uh, very often when I was little. My my parents loved Disney World and no. every, all the parks in Orlando, so we <laughs> then went there very often. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great stuff. And, and where were you in Chile? I live in, in Viña del Mar. Okay. Uh, that is like uh, maybe an, one hour outside Santiago. Oh, okay. It's by the coast. It's a beautiful town. Wow, so I lived awesome. there for six months, and yeah. and I'm still in touch with my friends. And I only lived there for, a, as I say, for six months. Mm -hmm. But those are one of my best friends. Yeah, it's it's a great time, and and to you know to to travel you know outside yes. of out of your of your hometown. It's it's really a beautiful thing. And, yes. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And it opens your mind a lot. Yes. That's what for I sure. always for sure. kind of pushing my students to go abroad. And and I think that that is a great transition to my next question, which is about the cultural difference between your experience in Colombia, Chile, and then when you moved to the United States, what were some of the big cultural differences that you uh, noticed or, or that were uh, different? Yeah, first, of course, the language, but mm. even in Chile, we have a different accent and many of the words are very different. Mm -hmm. So even when I moved to Chile, it took me a while to get used to, to the language. So that's first the language. Uh, the weather, too, for mm. me was very, very different because Chile has seasons, not as uh, extreme as they are here yes. in New England, yes. but they have <laughs> their summer, they have their winter. And for me, growing up in a town that the nickname is the always spring mm -hmm. so i i couldn't it, that was tough for me yeah. so the, uh, yeah. uh, and on top of that like uh, every culture is different so it took me a while to get used to how to approach people and so i have to change to be able to fit better in each culture not and it's not a bad way as i see it it's like to evolve as a different person like more like a more 
international person, I mm-hmm. would say, like more open. But at the at the same time, you're not you're not. Do you feel like you're not leaving your your culture? It's still a part of you. Yes, that that's and, a good way to to describe it. I I don't think I would ever stop being Colombian, no right, matter how many right. years I live here. Exactly, exactly. And what what kind of elements from your earlier life do you think uh, live on as you you know spend your life here? Yes, a uh, good question. One of those is religion. Mm-hmm. I grew up Catholic and. I was lucky enough to end up teaching in a Catholic college. Mm-hmm. And I remember that when I came here for interview, uh, uh, the chair at the, at the time, she prepared me to, to for the interview. I was going to meet with the dean of the college that at the time was Father Augustine. And she was like, you're going to see monks walking around, so don't don't freak out. They just <laughs> live here. And I'm like, no, no, I love that. I'm yeah. used to that because I went to a Catholic school my entire time. Right. And, a Catholic university, so I'm used to that. So that's something that I'm lucky enough that I continue having here to to be able to go. And if I'm in need, I could go to the church and just sit there and feel a little peaceful and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's something that I have brought with me. Also, I think the food, that that's mm-hmm. one of the, the things that different cultures, and if you see many of the businesses from immigrants are restaurants, mm-hmm because that eating the food it kind of takes you back to right your yeah, origins so it absolutely. took me a while to find a a decent colombian restaurant there's <laughs> a few in the boston area but yeah. i finally found in nashua that is not a restaurant it's more like a convenience store oh, okay. but I, I i'm able to get the food and finally uh, the music too that yes uh, i think it kind of with music, I feel like you could travel in time. Yes. So when I listen to a yes. song, and, and it's not that my wife says that I might be the only Colombian who doesn't know how to dance, and she's right, <laughs> but but I like to listen to some uh, music in Spanish. Yeah, and, and what what's some of your favorite music? That's a tough question. And it's not Colombian, it's like what they call rock in Espanol. Mm-hmm. So it, comes, it started like in South America, like in Argentina, and, and Chile were the countries that produced the most uh, uh, songs in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that was very exciting because uh, I was understanding what the people were singing because we grew up with U.S. rock mm-hmm. and we know the the how you say it, the re- the music and things like that. But I wasn't familiar with. I didn't know what they were singing. Yeah. So that yeah. was kind of a oh, that's yeah. what they say in the words, and that's mm-hmm. something that was very interesting. I remember like in the Beatles when I was in Colombia. Mm-hmm that I didn't speak any English, but when I moved to the US, I was kind of getting the lyrics. I like, oh, this is a nice song. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. like it because of, you know, the sounds and the music, and, yeah, but I was, I had no idea what they were saying. I, I feel, yeah, I feel like uh, music is the best way to kind of have fun with learning a language. I remember when I was taking Spanish, I would listen to a lot of different uh, Spanish and, and Latin American music. And I know, you know, a big influence is Selena. You yes. know, I, I listen to her stuff a lot. And But she was from Texas. Yes. It's, it's a beautiful thing, you know, to be able to learn language in that context. Yes, and I wish I used it more in class. My wife does use a music a lot, but I'm... I guess I'm shyer. <laughs> and I don't want to sing in front of my students. Although yeah. I... Yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. That's awesome. And um, I just kind of want to go back real quick to when you were uh, getting your bachelor's. Yes. Uh, you studied engineering. Yes. So that, wow, like that, that's really cool. And so I was wondering, what was your experience with that? Do you have a patent? Or Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, not anymore, but, yeah. but but when I graduated, I have to get like a 
yeah, like a patent, a, right. a license, like mm -hmm. a, to work as an engineer. And but uh, I went to, and that's what I like liberal arts. I went mm -hmm. to a university where I have to take many humanities classes. Mm -hmm. Have to take like four humanities classes that at the time, and I hate it. I, I didn't see the point of taking those classes if I was going to work as an engineer. Mm -hmm. But as many of us know, we, do, we don't have that much control of where our life is going to take us. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and, and look what I'm ended up teaching in a liberal arts college. So, yeah. so that, that was very, and it was, it's kind of the opposite. The good thing, uh, and the transition was easier for me, I would say, is because in, in my family, my mom loves to read. Mm. So we always have books, and when we're traveling, we always brought like five or six books that I'm on my siblings. We rotated during the our vacation time, mm -hmm. so that's what. And when I moved to the U.S., my original plan, I said a master's, but I, uh, but I w was getting to get a master's in engineering. So I started. So I came and took English classes. I studied English like for six months or something like that, mm -hmm. and then I started applying to engineer schools. I got accepted to three, and, I, and my scholarships were pending, mm -hmm. and one of them was very, the one that I wanted to go. It was University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. So I met with some of the professors, and they told me that, yes, you could, it's very likely that you will get a scholarship. And so, but, but I have to make a decision by August 1st, because I was an international student, mm -hmm. so I have to tell the I don't know, the U.S. government, yeah, what right. I was going to do with my right, life. Right. So, um, and it was August 1st, and they said, like, we don't know yet. So I had to make a decision. So a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Jim Pancrasio. He was a professor in Illinois State University. So he said, like, why don't you take Spanish classes and teach some Spanish, and then we'll go back to the engineer stuff. And I did that. I signed my contract. I signed my lease. And then, like, I think one week later, I got an email from University of Wisconsin and Milwaukee saying, like, oh, you got, like, your scholarship. Mm. So I told them, okay, I'll, I'll come back next year because I, I already signed a contract. Yeah. And that's when I fell in love with literature yeah. and I met my wife. And yeah. so that's when my life changed. That kind of leads us. It's a good segue into our discussion of language and uh and specifically Spanish literature. And I know of a, you know, I know some of the, the big ones, such as uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yes. Unfortunately, I haven't had the pleasure of reading his work yet, but I know that he is considered the father of, I believe, magical realism. Yes. And to our listeners, what, what is magical realism? What, what essentially is that? That's a very interesting thing because Garcia Marquez, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he says that he didn't invent that. And, and I have a point for that. Oh, so, okay. But magical realism, in, in other words, is like when we, again, it's my personal opinion, uh, we, uh, there are two ways of having magical realism. It's like when we, the readers, see something as magical on the book, and the, may, and the characters inside the book don't think that does. They think that is real. So it's magic for we, the readers, and it's real for the characters. For characters. And the opposite that the characters think something is magical or magic, and for we, the readers, we think that is something normal. Mm. And the two examples that I always that I always give my students in class is uh, are from uh, 100 Years of Solitude, his most yes. famous uh, uh, novel. And so th the main characters at the beginning of the book, they, there is a fair, and, 
they go to this fair and they pay to touch ice. And the narrator describes that that's the most magical thing that these two kids have seen in their entire life. Mm -hmm. So that's an example that for the characters is something magic, but for we, the readers, we think it's normal to touch eyes. Right. I would never pay to touch eyes. <laughs> so that's one example. And, and the opposite example is like later in the novel, there is this character that her name is Remedios, and she's called Remedios La Bella, Remedios mm -hmm. the Beauty. And at some point, she disappears. Nobody sees her in town anymore. And when the neighbors are asking the mom, the mom said like, oh, I saw her when she went up to heaven, just like, uh, like Mary. Mm. And nobody questions that. Everybody was like, okay, yeah, she went up to heaven. Mm. So that's something normal or real for the characters. Mm. And for us, it's, it's magic. It's magic. Yeah. So that's what, that, that's my, how I describe it to my students. And that's how I want, I like to see it. Yeah. And what I said at the beginning that Garcia Marquez has claimed that he didn't invent anything is because these uh, these things are what happened in Colombia or in Latin America in general. Like we have things that for the the uh, Western hemisphere, mm -hmm. like Europe and the U.S., they think that that's magic, and we don't think there is nothing right. nothing <laughs> weird with that and, yeah. I, and I always show examples like for instance yesterday in class uh, we're going to read a short story about Garcia Marquez in my intermediate three class intermediate one Spanish three mm -hmm. class uh, we're going to read that it's called La Luz es como el agua light is like water mm -hmm. and so I was preparing uh, them to the reading and, and we would discuss why we just talk about the magical realism I gave them the same examples but I showed them a video so in 2020 there were floods in Colombia so they they was a there was water all over the cities and the streets and I showed them a video that I took from a new from the media from the news media and these kids swimming in the water mm. so that's something that and everybody was shocked. Why would he do that? Like, no. and and he was just enjoying the, the swimming, like having fun. And nobody questioned that. Mm -hmm. I showed them. I sh I paused the video, and the and the people walking around, they just did thought that there was nothing bad wrong with that, or they they didn't think it was a big deal. Right. right. So that's one example of <laughs> things that uh, that we Colombians see that don't think it's a big deal, but for <laughs> the people from the US or Europe think it's a big deal. And another example, the opposite that I gave them is like the carpooling uh, lines, when, lanes when you go to Boston. Oh yeah. That I always thought that that was so weird that why people yeah. wouldn't take that. Like if yeah. you, you just use that because it's faster. Yeah. So that's something that for us is magic. Why would you do that? Uh, <laughs> and here in the US is not that. And I'm, of course I'm being extremist, but that's, how I try to present it to my students. And well, I think that that's really interesting because it, it shows that each culture has its own magic to it. Yes, exactly. And I think that that's the beauty of Marquez. Yes. Is, uh, is his ability to, to show that. That's and a good way to see it. Yeah, yeah I like that. Sure. And then, of course, another huge one, probably the, the biggest, is uh, Cervantes. Yes. In uh, Don Quixote. And I know that he is considered um, the inventor of the dynamic duo. Yes. Like, uh, you know, you, you have Don Quixote and then Sancho. Yes. So he's the reason we have, you know, people like SpongeBob and Patrick, Batman yes. and Robin. Yes. I'm wondering what was going on in Cervantes's mind that maybe uh, created that, that, that spark of genius in storytelling. 
Um, and how and how has that uh, duo maybe evolved over the course of not only Latin American literature but uh, world literature? Yeah, that's very interesting that, that you gave examples of uh, comics and how you call that like pop uh, culture, car- pop culture, pop cartoons. culture cartoons. Yeah. Yes, when you were mentioning that, I was thinking of Sherlock. Um, yeah, and, Sherlock and, yeah, and um, Watson. Watson. Yes, 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 Sherlock, yes. Uh, Sherlock and Watson. <laughs> yes, and. And something that I that I find I'm not uh, by by no means I'm not an expert of Cervantes at all. But to your point, he, he was showing us how literature could change us. Right. So this character uh, that becomes Don Quixote, he read a lot of books about novela caballeresca, like mm-hmm. the knight. Yeah, the knights. Knights and, literature. And, uh, yeah. And he said like I could be one of them. Yeah. And he became one. And he needed someone <laughs> to help him like to praise him for what he was and yes. that's why he chose Sancho Panza that is and it's funny because he's like oh how I say it it's funny it's because like this very tall skinny guy and this very <laughs> short chubby guy like right so, like polar opposites yes, but yet exactly. they work together they work together and another thing that I find very interesting is that one of them is is at the beginning one of them is crazy and the other one is trying to get him like no no we shouldn't do that <laughs> and at the end it changes yes so th- they evolve right. so i think that's one of the from my perspective one of the things that i like most about that book yeah. and in general like the duo that you were talking about that you mentioned exactly. before and and um you know still on our topic of literature what what are some of your favorite uh you know latin american works and uh why why should they be why should they be read my favorite one, and, and I always describe this as the reason why I became a literature professor and uh, and I want like I want to say a writer is because of the Argentine writer Jorge Luis Borges, and he's famous for literatura fantástica, fantastic literature. That sometimes is, it could be confused by fantasy, mm. but it's different. Fantastic literature is more like more like real life. There mm. is nothing. A, like fantasy, mm. but some weird, weird things happen. Mm. For instance, this uh, one of the stories that we read in one of my classes is called El Sur, the South. Mm. And in Argentina, many years ago, uh, the South was like the, the like the Wild West for mm. the U.S. Mm. See, many years ago, it was like the Wild West. So this character, he uh, he's a librarian and he's working working in his in, his, in the library, and he doesn't pay attention and he. He hit his head mm. with the column. He wasn't paying attention, so like that's the most one of the dumbest thing that you could do. Like, you know, <laughs> and he has to go to the hospital and he's dying at the hospital. So he starts kind of imagining that he's going to the south. Mm. And like he's going to the what the doing the analogy with the US like going to the Wild West. Mm. And no, I don't want to ruin the story for anyone. Spoiler don't want to spoil it to anyone. But he so we the readers are not sure if he goes to the south actually or, or if he's dreaming mm. of that. Mm. And dreams are very important in this yes. type of literature. Yeah. Another good writer is from Argentina also his name is Julio Cortazar. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories that I think most of my students or in our classes are familiar with is La Noche Boca Arriba. Mm. And it is this guy who is going on a motorcycle and he gets into a car accident. Uh, and when, while he's at the hospital, he starts dreaming that he is in the 1500s and he's being hunted by the Aztecs in Mexico. 
So we the writer, we sorry, we the readers, are not sure is he an indigenous person or he, which one is the real life, mm, and mm. that's what they play with, and yeah. that's one of the things that I like the most about fantastic literature. Yeah, because because again, yeah, kind reflective of um, magical realism. Because, yes, because it's you know what we may consider odd may very well happen. Exactly. It may very well happen in reality. It's much less likely, but you see that play out in the literature. And I think that's what makes it so strong, effective, and it works. Um, so you are, you're also the department chair this year Yes. Uh, at the college. Let's kind of talk about that for a bit and uh, how, how has that been going for you? Um, you know, how has that been? What are some of your responsibilities? And how, how is the language department doing overall? Yes, so I became the the department chair this past August, August 2021, and we can, we rotate among ourselves like the position for about three years, mm-hmm. each one of us. So this is my first year, and as I always say, I'm surviving it. <laughs> so getting there, because I'm trying to learn all the things that I have to do that yep. I wasn't familiar with. I knew how to teach, I hope. and <laughs> But here I have to deal with the budget and yep. uh, with problems like about the classrooms to change classes and things like that that I wasn't familiar with so um, uh, that's something that I've been not struggling but having to face that I wasn't that I didn't know how to do but uh, my colleagues have been very helpful when I come to them with questions Mm. and in terms of the languages like uh, as I'm sure many people are aware the humanities are struggling a little Mm. bit Mm. right now Uh, but we are trying to to make more students uh, aware of the importance to speak a language. And I always try to tell my students that I, as we discussed before, I didn't want to be in the humanities. I wanted to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being in the humanities without right. me knowing what happened. And I wouldn't change it for, for the world. I yeah. love what I do. And I love the people that I have to uh, work with and mm-hmm. my students. like. I always tell them that I learn. I think I learn most more from them than they learn from me, mm-hmm. because being a teacher for me is like where you learn when you learn the most. It's been a big responsibility for me to represent my department, mm-hmm. but I've been liking it, and I hope uh, I give more visibility that we have had before, mm-hmm. because we are considered a service department, which is true. But we are trying to develop more programs mm-hmm. uh, that go in hand with the other departments. Like right. for instance, we have right now, we have the Spanish for Nurses that has been a very mm. popular program. And we're trying to develop some uh, a business for the Francophone world, okay. like programs, little programs like that, that we go and look, help the other departments. Yeah. So that has been very exciting for that, me awesome. because it's like more applicable. Like mm. to give you an example, this semester I'm teaching a class that it has to with a detective novels or short stories I, I must say and when I say that I learn from more from my students is because we've written all these uh, short stories that have to deal with killings and investigations mm-hmm. and I have many uh, criminal justice majors mm-hmm. in my class so they have been explaining to me the difference between first degree murder second degree murder mm-hmm. the different type of guns that they use and mm-hmm. what would be the difference so I, I I love to see them explaining to me this in a language that is not their their own like Spanish and I I love to learn from them all that stuff because I don't I know nothing about guns or first degree I didn't know there was a difference between first 
second or third degree. Yeah, and I think I think that's a major theme for this podcast and the show is that, you know, once you're you know moved on from you know college education, you're still learning. Yes, you're always learning all the time, and you know it, it's 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 truly awesome to to see how much. Our, our mind can evolve over time and the way you put that that you learn most as a professor I've never thought about it mm. like that um, because you know we as students you know we'll think like oh like my duty is to learn but it's also the prof- the professor learns too yes. and I think I think that's something that uh, students might take for granted or not really see yes. and that that's very enlightening with the, the, all the projects sound so phenomenal and so cool. And, of course, we have the new Humanities Department building uh, coming in. Yes. So that's really exciting. And hopefully, you know, that, that should help too. Um, but also on, on your topic with that, what can we as students do to help our humanities professors, to help expand humanities to others and, and, to, and to continue uh, the studies of it, even if it's not in, within school or... Yeah, that, that's a good point. I, and I always try to think like uh, we are afraid of taking a risk. Mm. So to be out of comfort zone. And I've been out of my comfort zone many times, not by choice, but <laughs> because I had to. When I moved to Chile, I was even though it was my language, but they were many very different to me. Mm. So I, I didn't feel comfortable in a country that I wasn't my own with a weather that wasn't my own. Uh, the same thing when I moved to the U.S. and... It, it's important to not be afraid to ask questions. To ask questions. To uh, put yourself in the light. Exactly, because I, I believe that you learn the most when you are of your comfort zone, when mm. you are most mm. vulnerable. And, and 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 that's something that I always tell my students that I that I love about a liberal art institution mm. is that we have the opportunity to, if I want to learn how to play the piano, I could take a class mm. doing that. It would consider for my degree. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was an engineer, I, like the first two years I could do it, but after that I, I was not able to do it. But right. here I can do it. Or if I want to learn about creative writing, I could take a class in the English right. program or even in Spanish program. Like we, we have taught creative writing. Or if I want to know how to draw, mm-hmm. I could take a class on ceramics or drawing mm-hmm. or photography. So mm-hmm. that's something that I don't think we re- realize that we have the opportunity here to do. Like yeah. that's something that I think that's a way for us that even though we might think that we want to be in a specific major, it, it always enlightens or it always opens our mind to take classes on different departments. Right. And I think, you know, part of it is we have core requirements that cover a lot of ground. Yes. And I think students sometimes will think like, oh, I have to do all these requirements and stuff. But then you take the course and you'll discover you know, how much, you know, sometimes how interesting it could be. And also it's beneficial to discover if you don't necessarily like a subject and that way, you know, and I think, I think that that's, that can be a good thing, even though it's sometimes difficult uh, to, to, to get through and, and to deal with and persist. But, you know, at the same time, I think like you're learning a new thing that you never necessarily knew before. And I think, I think that that's exactly. And you're exposed to different cultures or different Mm -hmm. readings that, if you weren't here at St. Anselm College, it's very unlikely that you would be exposed. I wanna, and, and I have an example related with that. This was before with the All Humanities program that I remember I had a senior and we were writing, a, she had to write a paper mm-hmm. and, 
And the, the short story that she read, she related with one of the humanities books that she mm. had to read. So she asked me, is that okay if I do that? I'm like, yes, please. We love that. Yeah. That's the whole yeah. idea of you <laughs> having the, uh, you taking humanities mm. classes because you could find relations with other stuff that is not, a, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be necessarily, necessarily related to what you read in, it, that you did, what you did in humanities. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. That's that's so great, and you know I think I think on that that is a beautiful note to end it on, you know. Um, so, Professor, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and to talk all things language, humanities, and about your life. Uh, to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Y gracias por escuchar. Mucho gusto. Adiós. Adiós. Hey folks, this is James again. Did you enjoy our episode today? Are you ready to take your reading journey to the next level? Then you should definitely check us out online and on social media. For all things humanities, you can find us at www.anselm.edu humanities institute. And be sure to check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at STA Humanities. Keep on reading and stay well.